Welcome everyone, this is Megan Cummings-Kruger and today our conversation is going to focus on thriving in an age of disruption. My guest is Tom Schlick, who would tell you that the most succinct description of him is that he is a millennial trapped in a baby boomer's body. However, I would like to provide a little more detailed introduction of him. Tom is a business operations executive. He's known for his unique ability to lead organizations through transformational change and growth. He developed this strength over the course of his career. He's held a number of senior executive roles, including COO, SVP, and EVP at small, medium, and large corporations, both publicly and privately held. Similarly broad in scope, he has multi-industry background in services businesses within the manufacturing business. Tom received his BS in electrical engineering from the University of Minnesota and his MBA in finance management from the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management. He is also an adjunct professor at Hamlin University School of Business, as well as holding a number of volunteer uh, efforts that follow his passions. Tom has been a mentor with Mentium since 2004, during which time he has now mentored 16 Mentium mentees. And he is the author of Jumpstart Your Service Revolution, Transform Your Company's DNA and Thrive in an Age of Disruption which was published in 2018 to really impressive reviews. So welcome, Tom. I'm delighted to have you as a guest today. Thank you, Megan. Glad to be here. Excellent. So I want to start off actually by referencing some observations you made in your book. Um, you observed in your book that 90% of Fortune 500 companies that existed in 1955 have vanished, and 40% of the companies in the Fortune 500 today will be gone within 10 years. So in this age of disruption, what do you see as important changes that we need to deal with moving forward? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because it's what I did write about in my book, but I want to take it into today's context. Um, you know, I think most changes in companies happen because of leadership, right? It's the senior team and the people that follow them that eventually make the company go forward or in any direction. So when faced with disruptive change, it's the question is what the leaders do. And the thing that I see right now, there's three things that I see. I'll list them all out and then maybe we'll have some conversation about the three. Uh, the three things that I see, uh, I won't call mega trends, but they're, they're big transformational trends I see are just the uh, war on talent. I think that the, that the companies are gonna face a war on talent. You're seeing it already. There's for higher signs in almost every establishment. People are wondering, will they have enough employees to actually do the work? And this is up and down the spectrum. It's from the trades all the way up to the professional and senior ranks. So the war on talent's a big deal and we'll come back to that. The second one is uh, this whole hybrid remote workforce uh, thing that's really a byproduct of the pandemic. I mean, who would have thought we'd have a pandemic and it would change our employment landscape, but it's it's there. And then the third thing is really more about uh, DEI. And I, I say that, I've given it some thought because I, I don't want that to become a project or just a slogan. I wanna really get into you know what I think is gonna be really important about that as we get into the discussion. But taking them real quick from the top, you know, this whole idea of uh, we're, we're on talent. You know, in the old days, and when I grew up, when I started, if you wanted to work in a city, you either lived there and were hired to work in the corporate office, whether it be Minneapolis, St. Paul, or wherever, or you were recruited by one of the big executive recruiting companies, and you moved there. And most of your job time was spent 
in person in the corporate activities uh, in the office. Today, with the pandemic, you know, that turned that upside down and most people uh, were now working from home. Uh, and what this allowed is then uh, a reality to strike where really people learned they could do work from anywhere. And so what that does is broaden the, the availability of jobs. If you could, you could be in San Francisco and be a business development manager, say for General Mills in Minneapolis, you don't have to live in Golden Valley or the Twin Cities. So that changes the dynamic, right? It means that I, as a remote worker, want to stay where I'm at, but if I'm unhappy, um, I could certainly go someplace else and I have lots of opportunities. And then so, you know, that'll drive up wages probably in many cases, but it really says a lot about the importance of, you know, people caring about culture, and making sure you keep your best employees. So I, I think that's a really important one. Well, absolutely. And if I can just follow up on that, Tom, of course it explains the war on talent, but also, you know, it also speaks to the culture of engagement and connection on a virtual plane. What are your thoughts around that? Well, I think it's it's a it's a reality. I, I've had to do that this whole year, as you probably have, being on Zoom. I've even taught all my classes on Zoom. So, figuring out how to be uh, there, presence virtually, uh, is something uh, that I've had to wrestle with. But I can tell you, for me, you know, again, we'll get into some of the habits and things that I think are maybe really important as for leaders. But for me, when I'm teaching, as an example, um, I really declare the Zoom virtual world that we're in right now kind of a judgment-free zone. I prefer you have your video on and that you participate, but nothing's mandatory. And I respect where people are coming from. I would open every one of my classes necessarily with a poll, uh, basically asking what's their energy level? Where are they? Keep in mind, these are people that are full-time employees. They worked all day. And now they're attending a graduate's class that I'm teaching at night from 5.45 to 9.45 p.m. So most of my responses were energy level of okay and below, <laughs> not okay and really high. So I've had to really be sensitive to that. And so uh, we would take, uh, I, I would say, look, if kids come in, if dogs come in, there's barking, I mean, mute, mute yourself and take care of your business. Where I think in the real world, in, in person, if you were in an office setting and there's this disruption, you know, dogs barking, people making a lot of noise, you'd get people to say, no, that's not what we do here. You know, keep quiet, be calm, go someplace else. Uh, you, you just, it would be a much different environment. Uh, and so, but in our virtual world, we've had to create a much more accepting and judgment-free environment. Absolutely. And so that kind of dovetails nicely into this hybrid world. Um, and it also speaks to what I know is one of your um, real intentional areas of focus throughout your career. And that is around listening and also asking questions. I was thinking of that even when you talked about the poll question at the very beginning mm -hmm. uh, with your classes, you are opening that conversation up just by asking that question. So how have you found, um, uh, or do you have a story to share around how um, listening, asking questions, what has been working for you in this uh, age of disruption? Yeah, um, so I guess maybe the best way to say is, uh, actually there's one that comes to mind that I think is pretty relevant. It, it's uh, an example from my early career when I was an employee at, uh, actually a major, at a local company a long time ago. And I remember that my, I could consider my mentor was my boss, my first boss. And uh, he was your classic workaholic. I mean, he was a hard charger, driven, intense, smart. 
He's also a chain smoker. I know it's hard to believe if you digress a second, but the people actually smoked and they, not just cigarettes, but cigars in the conference rooms. And I would come home smelling like a smokestack. My wife <laughs> thought, don't change your shirt or do something. But I digress. He was very busy. And I remember in his office, he'd work long days, big stacks of paper on his desk, intense. And remember, there's no computers there. And his left hand, and he was writing on his tablets, very intent doing all this stuff. And I felt awkward going in to interrupt him, you know, because this guy's really busy. And I, and, and I was embarrassed. I thought he's going to say, well, that's something you should know, or you should figure that out yourself. But I ventured in anyway. And uh, I will tell you something truly amazing happened. It stuck, stuck, sticks with me today, and it kind of answers your question. His intensity level dropped immediately. He stood up. He walked around his desk to the table in his office and asked me to join him. And we sat down there together. And he looked me right in the eye and just listened to what I had to ask. And I knew he was listening because I didn't see any of those metaphorical word clouds above his head where, you know, you're, you, you can, you've had this experience where you're talking to people and they're, you can see they're thinking of their answer instead of just listening to understand. He was listening to understand. They asked me a lot of questions, which was really great because as I answered them, I came full circle to really solve my own problem. Uh, and answer my own question, of which then he smiled and said, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, and so I learned, learned a, a lesson there that's, that, that I've taken with me my whole life. And that is that listen to understand, don't listen to respond. And then learn to ask really great, good questions. Because when you ask good questions, you really empower people to think and you empower them to participate and be engaged. And nothing's better for engagement than questions, asking people to, to be involved and participate. And so I've taken that with me my whole life. And I use that. I've used it every day my whole life. That's my mantra in a way. Absolutely. And of course, uh, it also speaks to the essence of mentoring, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I, I would say I actually take that to my mentoring role. I, when we make our work plans as mentors for Mentium, and I've been privileged, like you say, to have 16, uh, all perfectly matched really well. I've been fortunate to have just unbelievable mentees. So kudos to Men Mentium for the great way they match people. Uh, I've been very appreciative of that. And I've always been, I've always learned more, as I said, than I've given, I, I feel, because of the mentoring relationship. But, I, but to your point, uh, in the mentoring relationship, I was very conscious of, of listening and responding with questions and then listening. Sometimes there'd be a time when they say, look, I'd like your opinion on X. And I would give them my opinion, but it would always be the last resort. It was more important to ask questions and make sure that the, the thought patterns and the approaches that they were taking and the kind of things that we're struggling, we're struggling with, uh, whether it be a team member, a teamwork, or something in the senior level uh, organization or whatever, that I was there to listen and to become an advocate uh, for them in that moment. Uh, around the kind of things that they were talking about. We'd have disagreements, We would, uh, and I would very often share, uh, once they'd tell me they wanted to do something that, that didn't work for me, I, was, I, was, I wasn't sugarcoating it, but just because it didn't work for me, it doesn't mean it won't work for them. So we'd talk about the pros and cons and go through it. So yeah, listening and asking questions is as much a part of mentoring as it is leading teams in real life. And, you know, it reminds me when we were talking earlier, you shared... Um, as important as listening and asking questions is, is also being 
uh, intellectually honest, bringing all that you know, your experience, your knowledge, when you're in meetings, when decisions are being made, to have that courage to share your perspective and, and really the need to speak up. Now, you have a lot of experience working uh, globally, cross-functionally, all kinds of cultures across, uh, bringing those disparate views together. Can you share an example of um, why you feel that this is so essential? Yeah, I, I again, as I started out by talking in uh, the megatrend issues, you know, people are what make, people in leadership make the culture. The, the management sets the tone and people either adopt it or they don't. And if they don't, you have a dysfunctional organization. And if they do, you you have a great organization. But, but back to what you're describing here about the cultural aspects and, and learning how to, to, to lead or manage in that kind of environment. The things that I, I think I, I would like to share here would be to step back a second and basically cover two areas. You know, one, just what kind of meetings are we having? I know that may sound trite, but let me explain. And then the second thing is to get everybody involved. And let's talk about the first one first. I was very conscious that we needed to understand what kind of meeting we're having. Remember, we're taking people's valuable time. We want their inputs. We want their uh, abilities to show up, be present in the discussions, whether it's online or in person or a combination. And usually it was a combination for me because I had people working for me from all over the world. I was a global guy my whole life, global manager. So in these meetings, I wanted to make sure that they knew and they knew in advance, everybody knew in advance what the expectations were. Because there's three kinds of meetings in my world. There's an information sharing meeting, there's a problem solving meeting, and there's a decision making meeting. And you can't mix them up. Most people mix them up or try to run them all three in the same meeting. And what happens when you run them all three is you do shortcuts. You shortcut the information sharing, you shortcut the problem solving, and you shortcut the decision making, which gets people confused and make and they, they don't really walk out of the room aligned. But if you're really clear saying this is information sharing, then bring your best self and all your data to share information. We're not problem solving and we're not decision making. And the same goes true for those other three meetings. So clarity around the type of meeting may seem funny, but, but you need to know what kind of meeting you're going to because then you can bring your best self. By the way, contribute your best self. If you're confused about what you're trying to do here and you don't want your boss to think you're stupid, you won't talk or you'll say something that's pablum. It's a, it's a good speak, but doesn't mean anything. Uh, and you want honest answers, good, good, true answers, but give them because you know why you're giving them. And then the second thing is, be, I was very conscious as a leader, hypersensitive about inclusion, making sure everybody had a say. And probably most important was my international global folks, um, because they have different cultures. And a lot of cultures, particularly Asian cultures, uh, not exclusively, but they're much more deferential to hierarchy much more polite, uh, much more, they're, they're less impatient. Uh, and so you want to make sure they have a venue and a forum to, to be called, to be asked their, their, their answers and their inputs at the right time. And when you ask them, they, everybody gets a chance to, to participate. So that's really important. You'll always have people who talk a lot and that's okay. You have to just make sure you don't get your meeting hijacked. But the other important thing is the dissenters. We talked about the intellectual honesty here. In every meeting, uh, you're going to find if you open up and have a have the, set the right tone, someone who disagrees, someone who's got a different idea, and you really want that. You want to encourage that. That's a that's a golden nugget 
Uh, and too often it's stamped out because the leader of the meeting, because you don't know what kind of meeting it is, the, the person shouts it out and then they get kind of shut down uh, or they're just told that's stupid or they the people look at them funny and they just don't answer anymore. And that's a really a tragedy because there's, there's something there. So as the leader, you have to protect that. You have to have a safe zone for people to speak up like that. That's really, really important. Uh, and then the last thing I think I'll say on this, uh, which, which is really important, is I, as the leader, would go last. Whenever we're talking, whenever we're sharing information, problem solving, or decision making, I would go last. And I would tell people, my opinion is that just that, it's an opinion. I'm not here to tell you what the answer is. Because if I spoke first and said, I think we should do X, then what happens is the dynamic in the meeting is most people say, well, if that's what the boss wants, and that's what we ought to go do. Why are we here? It's been wasting our time. And that's not what I want. I want this dissent because uh, and this dialogue because what happens when you do it right, you know what kind of meeting it is, you've got everybody engaged, you get ideas building on each other, and then you're really cooking with gas, right? Because everything's being building on each other. And then so you actually arrive at a better, better amount of information that's more correct. You arrive at much better problem definitions and solving and better decisions. And what I found, and this is I born I found this out through my life. And I've seen studies uh, in, throughout my career that prove that uh, teams provide 20 to 30% better answers than managers alone. So think about that for a second. Hmm. Uh, if you could get a 20 to 30% improvement in the information you have, the problems you define and solve, and the decisions you make, would you take that or not? And most people would say, heck yes. Well, the answer is follow what I've just described, and then you'll get there. Absolutely. And you know, that segues really nicely into my next question, because that habit you have of going last to ensure that it is a, a functional team, uh, that everyone is contributing. What other habits come to your mind that you feel have really contributed to your success? Well, failure. <laughs> I've learned a lot. Uh, I wasn't always a good manager. Honestly, when I first became a manager, and I really wanted to be a people manager, but I suffered and I think I did this, I had a Mentium uh, VOE podcast I was on a while back. I suffered from that same anxious perfectionism and need to achieve that a lot of leaders have. And what it, and when you have that, what it does, and I explained it during that VOE meeting, was it, it just kind of suffocates and gives you a blind spot to your people manage, to what you're doing in people management. You, you don't even know what you don't know. It just blinds you. And so you really have to, to, to be a lifelong learner and, and practice different techniques to get better. And if you get better, you earn the right to become a better manager. And if you do it really right, then you, be, you earn the right to become a better leader. And that's what I really wanted to be was a leader, not just a manager. So as a leader, I adopted three, what I call critical habits, I guess, uh, that I, again, use today. I've used them many, many years now. And I, I think they're, they're very appropriate today. And they won't surprise you. They're pretty simple. First is, uh, is again, this active listening. Listening with a view to understand, not to respond. And you can tell, I'll tell you a powerful, I don't want to say trick, but thing I would use. Um, when people would get done talking and I'm intently listening, I would feedback. I would say, let me rephrase what I thought you said. And I would say it back. And invariably, uh, people would say, that's, a, that's exactly, you heard me, that's exactly what I mean. 
Sometimes I didn't. They said, no, you didn't. And I caught myself not listening well, and I'd have to redo it. But most of the time, by paraphrasing back, people would validate. But I was validating what they said. Try that with somebody when you see that word cloud. And you'll find when they paraphrase it back, they miss half the stuff. So again, listening with a goal of understanding only, not responding. The second one really is a big one for me um, that I think is as important today as it was back when I was leading teams, and that is to ensure clarity. Uh, clarity is a, a gift, you know, making sure people understand what, what the direction, what the goals, what the missions are. Uh, and what I found amazing is how often in an organization that has all this written down, has town halls, goes through all the discussions, has meetings, has team meetings, has one-on-one, -on -one, step-level meetings, uh, people still are not aligned. They're not, they're confused about what the direction is. And what I think happens is you see managers in meetings go, well, okay, we all agree that we're going to be going and doing this thing, right? And everybody goes around the room and says, yes, 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 yes. Nobody, nobody dissents because nobody's clear. And so by asking people, what I would do again, I remember I always went last, but so, but in this kind of meeting, if we're, if we're going to set direction, uh, going last allows you to get other people to paraphrase what we all agreed was the, the direction, say. And every person would then say it. I'd make them sort of paraphrase what we all had discussed. I wouldn't leave with silence. I didn't assume silence meant we all agreed. Silence meant it was time for me to ask my question, which is paraphrase what we just talked about. And if I had eight, eight people in a room or on the phone or on the globe, they would all say what they thought they heard or what they thought the team had decided. And invariably, we'd have almost in every case, somebody saying, well, that's not exactly what I heard. I heard that we also included this or that we also didn't include that. And everybody would go, yeah, go, yeah, that's right, that's right. And by the time we were done, I would say, is everybody now clear on what we're going to do or what we've decided or the next step or whatever it might be? And then they had it because I ensured clarity. I didn't walk out of that room assuming clarity because nobody asked any questions. So that's a really important second one. And then the third one is no surprise, uh, continue to ask good questions. You know, good questions, to me, when you ask good questions of people, uh, it shows you value them. You think they're, they're important. And when people feel valued and important because you care about their opinion, you're asking questions, uh, engagement goes way up. And I can tell you in today's world, especially with this hybrid workforce, you know, people wanna work in an organization where the people are engaged and where they can find uh, you know, meaning, dignity, community, all those things are important. And if they don't find it, they're going to leave because there's so much choice today with this talent for a war on talent. And you don't want your best people leaving. True. And spoken a little like a millennial, I might add. <laughs> well, it's because I was like that millennial trapped in there. I've always uh, wanted to make a difference. And, and honestly, I'm not, I'm, I tell people I'm not a maintainer. Uh, either start things up. I turn things around or I grow them. That's been my whole career. And when I got into a role where I felt like I was just managing, plateaued, so to speak, uh, I would get eager. And you know how the world works. Uh, life is a mysterious thing, right? You don't know why things happen to you. They just do. Some are good, some aren't so good. But in my case, what would happen, I would get a phone call from an executive recruiter. And I would say, I'm happy here, but I'm happy to listen to you too. And then invariably I would interview and uh, take a different job. 
And then I got all energized again because it was a chance to start something, turn something around or grow something. And I did that multiple times. And that's how I ended up with all this uh, need to make a difference. I always wanted to make a difference in what I did. So as you consider, when you look back, um, what would be your advice to up and coming leaders? In other words, what are those takeaways um, you would share that we haven't touched on yet, both as a mentor and a leader and a learner, and in particular in these disruptive times? Well, I, I think, you know, we've, we've covered it a, you know, a fair amount, but I think uh, the number one is to be inclusive. Today, having an inclusive organization is really, really important. We, we, we didn't really touch much on DEI, but that's all about inclusion, right? So it's including everybody's voice. I mean, being not, not being tone deaf to the social issues that we have to deal with in this, organ, in this country and then socially and in, in, our, in our organizations. Nobody wants to have a, you know, corporate slogans or things that are really important be a project. They want things like that to be a way of life. So really, really be inclusive so that we uh, accommodate everybody. And it sounds corny, but it's the truth. Everybody is valued, everybody has a voice. Yes, we'll make a decision, not everybody will agree with the decision, but if everybody's had a voice in it, everybody's heard the dissent, everybody's been involved, then you'll make the best decision. Remember, as I said earlier, by including everybody and following some of the techniques and tactics I've talked about, you'll make a 10 or 20 to 30% better decision. And I'll take that in Vegas any day about uh, <laughs> uh, taking the odds. So inclusion is just really huge. And we touched a little bit on it, but not a lot. So I want to make sure that that's one that we, we do. And again, inclusion, again, is a big en engagement factor. It takes engagement to the, to, the, to the roof when people are engaged, when they feel like they're included. And, it's, and, and so I say to people, What's the downside to including people? What's the downside to getting people's opinions? And what's the downside to actually showing that you really care about what they think and that you actually will get off your desk if you are still in a, virtual, a real setting and go to your table? Or if you're online, you know, looking at them directly, listening, and then paraphrasing back what you heard. What's the downside to any of that? And the answer is there's none. There's no downside to being a good person or being kind caring, uh, to being inclusive. So that's one. Uh, I will say, I do think that uh, this listening thing is really a big deal. Because I do think uh, I found that a lot of people will just listen to respond and not listen to understand. And that's so important in today's uh, world, especially when you're dealing with different cultures, you have to be open and, and you have to seek out intentionally that openness and that, that understanding that you wanna hear different voices. I'm, I'm very direct about it. I don't beat around the bush. I ask for dissenting opinions. I call out people who haven't spoken and not in a, how come you haven't spoken or point my finger with blame and shame. No, not that. It's an inviting call out. I value you as a person. You're an important member of our team. You have, we haven't heard from you yet. And we really would like to hear your thoughts on this important issue. That's an inviting kind of way to, to do things. And I think that's really important. So by, by, you know, by involving everybody and, and, and making sure they're included, that's important. Uh, I talked about asking questions and I'll just uh, maybe go a little bit more deeper on that. It isn't just asking questions, but it's, it's making sure you're not asking leading questions. 
I mean, I can ask a, a question. Well, I'll pick, I'll make up some. I'll pick up, pick on you, Megan. I'll say, uh, uh, wouldn't you really like to have vanilla ice cream for dessert tonight, Megan? <laughs> I mean, that's a leading question, right? I'm sort of telling you what I think you should have for dessert. I, I'm giving you a recommendation. I'm hinting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, probably a better question might be, what choice of desserts would fit into your nutritional program that you'd like to consider? That's a different question. You may come back and say vanilla ice cream is all I eat. That's, that'd be great. Bingo. But the point is, I've asked you an open-ended question. I've asked you a question with an intent to understand, not a leading question. And listen to the questions people ask. How often aren't they tied to, to a leading statement because they're more emotionally charged? And why does that happen? Let me just digress a second. It happens because most people come to the party because we're driven this way with a solution. And, you know, and then we spend all of our time defending whose solution is best. And usually it's the loudest shouter, the highest position, or whatever. And that's not how decisions should be made, right? You should come with questions and come with your ideas. And then we should do this together as a team. Um, and I've just seen too many people ask leading questions and not ask good, right, right questions that foster engagement and the dialogue. That's really, really important, I think, to me. Um, and so I think that's, those are the ones that, I mean, I just say that there's a constant theme here, inclusive, being inclusive, being an active listener, ensuring that your team has clarity, knowing what kind of meetings should be attending and how to handle those meetings, and then asking a lot of good questions. I think those habits, those, uh, those principles uh, done right uh, will help your company be more uh, highly engaged employee workforce. You'll have a spring in your step as an organization, getting things done, being able to execute better because there's clarity about what needs to be done when. And uh, you'll have a happier workforce and, uh, and uh, people want to work there. And again, I can't stress that enough. If your people aren't happy, they'll leave. And, you know, as I may have said before, you know, 4 million people left the workforce in April alone. They weren't just recruited out by the talent war. They left the workforce, 4 million people. Think about that. Let that sink in, 4 million. So these are people who now have decided that they're going to take their future into their own hands and they're going to declare the kind of life they want to live. And you want your company, your organization, your team members, you want those people on your team. You don't want them checked out. So you have to create this environment, this inclusion, this, this listening, this clarity of purpose, this asking good questions so people can make a difference. Those are all the things that are really critical uh, in this, not only this age of disruption, but for organizations to thrive as we go forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coming down to the humanness. And um You've shared so much wonderful content. I don't know if it's fair to ask this final question because it seems limiting, but I, I do always like to ask uh, our speakers, do you have a favorite uh, quote or saying? I have many, but there, is, <laughs> but there is one that I honestly, truly do use, I would say most of the time. It's my go-to saying. And again, it, it, uh, I'll tell you what it is, but I wanna let you know, I. I I adopted this because it, it weaves through everything that I've really talked about as a leader. Uh, it brings consistency and maybe to me a little bit of reality to the things I believe in. And so the saying that I use, and I say this whenever I enter a meeting, whenever I enter a new engagement, 
whenever I meet new people, whenever I'm in a situation that's maybe I'm not totally comfortable with. What I say to myself is seek to understand before being understood. Because I see a lot of people who will say, but you don't understand. I mean, but I want to tell you what I want to tell you what I think. I mean, there's this human need to want to be heard. And I'm purposely saying, yes, I want to be heard too. But as the leader and as the purpose person that, that's here at the table with you, I'm going to take the first step to understand. I want to understand where are you coming from? What's important to you? What are your needs? What could I do different to help you? Understand that first, and then understand. Then you then you can be understood. You know, I didn't do that before because maybe. I, thank you for saying that. Now I'll, I'll change the, the my approach or the kind of way I uh, show up. But so seeking to understand before being understood is a real big. Uh, and it's easy to easy to understand, and you can memorize it. And I use it all the time. Absolutely. Uh, wonderful saying, um, but definitely something harder to apply uh, mm -hmm. than to agree with. Thank you so much, Tom, for sharing your intentionality that you've had throughout your career and uh, all of these specific stories that I think really, really are helpful as we face all the changes moving forward and, and getting down to uh, that clarity, that understanding, and that uh, feeling of a voice being valued, I think is really, really relevant for today. So thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you uh, to everyone who has listening to this Mentium Matters podcast. We have a number of great guests lined up, so please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And for additional resources, you can find show notes on the Mentium website. I look forward to having you join us next time. Thanks, everyone.